बाउंड वेलकम टू द बुक पीपल आई एम योर होस्ट ऐश्वर्या जवळगेकर a writer a book editor podcast producer and the head of originals at bound in this fast breaking video podcast i demystify the publishing and creative industries and uncover the biggest opportunities and challenges for writers in india today so the topic that i'm covering today is something that writers have been worried about since the beginning of time whether you're writing a book or you're writing a screenplay or you're writing for audio question that writers and creators always always have is how can they safeguard their ideas and their work and when can you safeguard it right can you safeguard it at the idea level what exactly can you copyright and if someone does steal a part of your work what can you really do about it so to answer all of these questions i am talking to a lawyer this time his name is sushrut desai he specializes in intellectual property rights and he was a consultant for the screenwriters association in india so my conversation with him actually was so jam packed with insights that we've decided to put the conversation out in two parts so there's going to be two episodes this is part 1 where we talk about what exactly copyright means what kind of rights do you have as a writer and what kind of red flags should you be looking for when you're signing all these contracts and agreements with companies and with creators today So definitely check it out, and stay tuned for part two, where we discuss how copyright works in music and video and theater, how the law needs to change and catch up to all of these developments with AI, and I also ask Sushrut some crowdsourced questions from the Bound community that we get the answers. So watch out for that. But for now, let's dive in. Today is a very very special session because today I am doing something completely new for the book people as well. I am talking to Sushrut Desai, who is an IP lawyer. I mean, he does a lot of other things, but specifically, I want to understand, you know, how IP works, how copyright works, and what is the opportunity with these things. So, my first question is, I think, the basic one that we all need to know. One is, you know, what does an IP lawyer even do? What does it mean? and how did you become an ip lawyer um i i graduated from government law college 2008 i am basically a litigator my job is mm-hmm. to uh draft uh suits or defense suits and argue them in the high court because in uh, only the high court has jurisdiction under the uh under the copyright act so all our cases go before okay. the high court so so that's where i come in when the contract uh goes wrong and some disputes arise that's when i enter into the picture basically okay so you are basically not involved when the initial contract is drafted only when there is an issue you kind of come in so so what's happened is over the years uh because of my litigation experience there have been people who've been sort of coming to seek advice before things go wrong at the contract stage therefore yeah so, i would imagine that's when people would want the advice yeah and, they don't want things to go wrong exactly uh, and and i I've, i've had the benefit of working very closely with the screenwriters association uh, from a pre junior uh, uh, sort of stage in my career uh, till now and uh, and that's been an association that's got me very deep into uh, writers rights and also copyright law in general especially when this has been a pretty transformational time for copyright law because of the amendments and all but we'll come to that later okay So you know how often do you have to go to court on a day to day basis what do you sort of do 
So uh, our, our high court works from 10.30 to 4.30. And a lot of that time we are in that building. We are not always arguing and uh, on our legs, we call it. We are not always on our legs. So, uh, but whenever you have to be ready when a matter is called out to be able to go there and argue. And before 10.30 and after 4.30 is when we do our drafting, meeting clients, advising them, reading our papers, preparing for the next day, things like that. Okay. Can we go into, you know, what does IP actually mean? Like, what is IP? What is copyright? What is, uh, you know, what are the differences between them specifically? And okay. what can be copyrighted? Right. Um, so, IP is, uh, is a catch-all term. It's an umbrella term. stands for intellectual property. And um, the best way to understand it and the way we were taught in law school is by something known as the um, apples analogy or the apples fallacy, where basically an apple is a property, right? It's a, it's a physical thing. Now, if, if I give you an apple, I have one less apple. Um, but this is not true of intellectual property. If I write a book and I give it to you, I still have the book, but you also have it. So in that sense, intellectual property is distinguished from physical property. And uh, you had a whole bunch of laws that came about to try and protect this category of property. And um, this, this category of property is divided broadly into patents, trademarks, and copyright. And copyright is basically your right to any artistic work that you have created. Uh, this could be a work in writing, it could be a musical piece, it could be a movie, it could be a poem, it could be lyrics, um, it could be a software program, because a software program also has to be written. So anything that is written um, or uh, anything that is created artistically and is unique and has never existed before can be copyrighted. And in fact, I, I wouldn't say can be, I would say is copyrighted. Because unlike trademark and patent, you don't have to do anything extra to protect a copyright. If I write something original, it is automatically copyrighted by the fact that I have written it. I don't have to go and register it somewhere else in order to get that protection. So, okay. so that's what that is. And at what stage does something become copyrightable? You know, like for example, if you're looking at a book. So if I just have the idea of a book or I have a pitch with, you know, some rough outline. Is yeah. that something that is copyrightable or is it, you know, a manuscript? Say I have a finished manuscript of a book. Is at that stage, you know, something that I can copyright or only after say it becomes a physical book, you know, with a book cover and something that is a product as a whole and can be sold. Is it right. only copyrightable at that stage? Right. Um, that, that's a, that's a great question actually. And, and, and the, and the last thing that you mentioned that when it actually becomes a book, is the moment that is known in copyright law as the moment of publishing. When you publish something and, and the work becomes public, that is when um, the whole world is put to notice that you are the owner and holder of this copyrighted original work. But that does not mean that your earlier drafts, which you might have shared with your publisher or your producer, are not copyrighted. Um, they are also equally copyrighted the moment of protection comes at the time of creation of this document. Um, so in the olden days, what, what's, what screenplay writers used to do before we had the registry at uh, the Screenwriters Association, what writers would do is they would take their script that they've written, put it in an envelope, go to the post office and mail it to themselves. 
So, so what would happen is they would get a stamp that would prove the that date. on this day, this document existed. So, um, so that in the future, if there is a dispute, if somebody else says that they have a script that is similar, for example, you can open this envelope, show it to court and say, see, this is a sealed envelope. This is a posted stamp and this is a document inside. Yeah, now we do the same thing on the registry. And I think now also maybe, you know, because we use Microsoft Word or we use these kind of software that also track when changes were made, right? Or when a document was saved. Does that also help as proof Absolutely. in terms of... Absolutely, because what 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 you have to understand about copyright is, okay, take a situation where two things are extremely similar and they come to a court and the question is, who owns it? And if they are so similar as to cross that threshold of infringe, copyright infringement, it's a very high threshold, but let's assume for the sake of argument that these two do cross that threshold. What the court will look at is which one came into existence first. And, and that becomes a very, very powerful indicator of who the original author of, of the document is. And that's pretty much what it boils down to in, in a lot of cases. So uh, in the example that you just gave of a Microsoft Word document, certainly if you can prove electronically in a way that cannot be tampered with that you created this document on a certain day, it's absolute proof. That's why people email documents to themselves now. Yeah, that's true. But that's so interesting because, you know, say ideas are not copyrightable, right? Like if I just have an idea saying I'll write this book or I'll create this podcast, that's not something I can copyright because anyone could have come up with the idea. But that's so interesting about the creative process because say two people came up with the same idea for a book or a screenplay or a podcast, you know, yeah. uh, say, you know, it's me and you and I came up with the idea one year before you did, but you wrote the screenplay or you finished the book, you know, two months before me. Yeah. So then that's something that you can copyright or like by copyright law, that's something yeah. which would put you as the owner rather right. than me, right? There's this expression in copyright law that says that you cannot copyright and that an idea is not capable of protection. Only the expression of that idea is capable of protection. Now, what that means is that I may have an idea of a boy meets girl story where the parents are in opposition to it. And then in the end, they run away together and then they have to kill themselves. Now, this is a story yeah. that has been told a thousand times in history. Yeah. Right? Um, so this idea, if it was protectable, then after Shakespeare, nobody would have been able to do it. Or probably even before that. Um, maybe Shakespeare would not have been able to do it. But therefore, therefore, if you only change a few things about this idea and give it a unique expression by, by setting it with unique characters, populating it with unique characters, setting it in a unique setting or a timeline, explore new themes, and you make it original enough, um, you, you, will get a, you will get copyright on it. In fact, this is something that... Um, We've, we've seen uh, so many times with authors who have sometimes um, an overestimation of how unique their idea is. Um, and uh, I, I, I always tell them this thing. We, we had one author who, who came up to us. He wanted to file a suit because he'd written a script about a dog who uh, is the favorite dog of, of a wealthy man who passes away. And then his family has... 20 days to win over the dog and whoever the dog likes the most after 20 days will get his entire fortune. And he was convinced this is an extremely unique idea. And he was, uh, he was horrified that his, uh, that some other person he knew was writing it. So, right. 
I told him, and this is what I tell all of my clients, and we use this in code. There's a website called tvtropes.com. So anytime you think you have an original idea, please go to tvtropes.com and put your idea in there. And you will get category-wise how many other ideas have the same thing. So when we put this dog inherits fortune, we got about 30 novels, 40 films, 30 manga anime series, and like just, uh, you know, uh, unbelievable amount of material. So ideas are not that many. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, globally. Okay, not just in the English language as well. Yeah, not or just, just in the English. Because, because copyright is universal. Unlike a trademark, yeah. which is uh, which is uh, only for the territory in which you register it, a copyright is universal. When when J.K. Rowling wrote Harry Potter in England, you couldn't suddenly copy and write Harry Potter in India and publish it. Because her copyright yeah. is protected even in India. Right, right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, when you said that there's this threshold, you know, where, you know, for two things to be considered very similar or almost as copyright infringement, what is that threshold that is so high? Like, how similar do they have to be? They have to be extremely similar. So, uh, in, in the example that I just gave you of this TV tropes, clearly the, the threshold of dog inherits fortune and family members have to win him over is not unique enough. Because, yeah. and, and that is evident from a cursory glance at what, how many other materials have been written of a similar nature. So now, whoever this writer is who's saying that you have copied my dog inherits millions idea has to not stop at that. He has to list down 10 other similarities. Maybe the characters are the same. Maybe the uh, resolution is the same. The, the climax is the same. Maybe the midpoint is the same. Uh, maybe the twist is the same. And maybe that twist is unique and not found in any of the other places on that TV tropes page, but is found in this. So you have to, you have to show very direct links because it is an incredibly high threshold. Like people think that they can, uh, that they can get away with uh, pointing out a few similarities. That is not it at all. Okay. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a situation that happens quite commonly. A writer writes something. The producer says, I don't like it. Writer mm-hmm. walks away disappointed. The producer goes to a cheaper writer and tells him, here's the script, thoda, do badal ke, bana dena. Yes, exactly. This happens. Uh, so, and, and then this first writer will come and say that you stole the idea from me and you've done copyright infringement. But now this writer and producer are no fools. They've been in business for a long time and they know how many things they have to change in order to not meet this high threshold of copyright infringement. Ladke ko ladki bana do. Dilli ko bombay bana do. End way instead of the girl dying, the boy dies. I mean, there's, there's, there's a thousand tricks like this. And, and they're not even that complicated. And, and, and what that does is it creates a product that you can arguably say is different. Arguably. And then you, the first writer who tries to stop this film from coming out, saying this was my idea. Well, so, so basically you, you, you go to court asking for an injunction that don't release this movie because it's mine. Hmm. It's my intellectual property. So, so, so that's called the interim stage. So at that interim stage, the judge will say, I don't know. It looks like there's about 10, 15 things that are different. So I, I don't think I can give you an injunction. Now, what this writer could have done different, which is what we advise all our clients to do is to forget about copyright infringement as a concept. Don't even, don't even pay any attention to it. Instead, you pay attention to breach of promise. Okay. And, and breach of okay. confidentiality. And breach of trust. So, if if this first writer had shared the script with the producer, 
and said that the script that the document that was shared with you was shared in confidence it contains proprietary materials authored by me and should not be shared with third parties without my knowledge or consent if you merely wrote those lines in your document that you've shared and if you share it over email as opposed to going to their office and dropping off a physical copy which is untraceable yeah. so there's, this, there's a thread there's an email there's a paper trail because then what happens is then when i walk in court the first question that the judge will ask me is do you have any proof that you had given this script to them and i will say yes this is the proof until i shared the script he didn't want to make this movie now that i've shared the script suddenly he wants to make the movie and this is a breach of promise then i can apply a different test then rather than applying the test of copyright infringement i can tell the court to apply the test of breach of confidence and say that that when i have shared this with him in confidence if he has gone and misused my intellectual property now that's something that the man deserves to be injuncted for he deserves an injunction against him to stop him from releasing this right no that's super helpful because you know i was going to ask you this question there are so many writers who have this exact concern right that when they send their screenplays or their pitches like whether it's movie ideas whether it's book proposals to publishers and then their question is always okay what if they say no to me but then they turn around and make the exact thing or it most often it's not the exact thing you know and it is it is inspired by it or whatever like you said with a lot of different variations what is it that they can do so this is a great great point and this is also where why this you know it's become important now to sign these ndas as well right like a lot of uh, you know whether it's clients whether it's freelancers whether it's writers they're getting into that habit of signing a non disclosure agreement before they share any of their work to sort of have that proof saying hey look i had signed this how effective do you think that is it is effective uh if if as a writer if if you're getting a producer to sign an nda that's amazing i mean that means you have a lot of clout as a writer so so good for you okay um, producers can also refuse to sign ndas i'm just asking like, do they do that as common practice of course of course they will in fact in fact the standard practice is for the producers to offer you a document to sign they will give you a document uh as a writer saying that the that you are want to submit an idea to me you are aware that i may have similar ideas in development and that if i go and develop those other ideas in development you should not come and catch my neck saying i have copied your idea they now they um, they make right opposite yeah. of uh, almost like for them that leeway to go and say correct. okay i am working on multiple ideas correct it's not about your idea correct so at what point can you know um, like from your experience has it ever been a scenario where someone you know there is there are two works which have this issue of copyright infringement and the uh, the things that are copied are literally word for word like has there ever been a case that you have come across where it's not just certain tropes or certain specific details that are copied yeah. but there are entire paragraphs or entire exactly. chapters that are verbatim copied which you know i'm assuming would make your case super easy as well it's happened it's happened in fact uh, in fact this was this was one of one of my early cases where uh, i was i was very was very passionately arguing on behalf of this writer to to get him an injunction against a fairly large uh, producer who had made a yeah. i mean this was 
So it's kind of a a blockbuster kind of film. I mean, mm. for obvious reasons, I can't name it, but uh, it, it was yeah. a it was a, it was a big film, a well known film with well known director and producer. And I had made a chart saying, look at all the elements in my screenplay. Look at all the elements in your film. They are absolutely identical, and in fact, they are so unique that it is impossible that another mind independently came up with. these same 2030 ch- choices at this stage that that not only the milieu and the setting and the character but also the flow and the twist and the climax and everything and the side characters i mean this would be a remarkable coincidence if, yeah. if and and obviously that's not something one could believe and we had uh, some proof of communication with the producer mm. that this writer had communicated with the producer so so we had a pretty strong case and um, when it looked like the judge was going to give an injunction the producer's lawyer said lordship will just keep the matter back for about half an hour we will try and work it out we'll offer him a settlement we'll try and work it out so that uh, you know no adverse orders are passed so then yeah. we stepped out uh, agreed on a number went back into court and withdrew the case yeah. the producer's brother who was in court came up to me and he said sir ab bura mat maniye ek baat bataunga aapko I said uh, sure. He's like, uh, see, we we got off cheap in this settlement, but you tell your also to be careful. So I said, why? What do you mean got off cheap? Because you paid my fellow a pretty handsome amount, and he's also very yeah. happy. So he's like, no, no. What is it, sir? This is actually European film. This is your client has copied it, and my client has copied it. But this is defense. I can't present in court. Because if I present this defense that your client is sure, I may be sure, then that big production company will come catch my neck. So that's why the settlement is a good thing. So things like this happen. That's so funny, though. No, that's great. That's a great story. But you know, when how often do cases like that come to court? In the sense that how often do writers who realize that you know their copyright has been infringed, or you know. someone has created something that's very similar to the ideas they discussed how often do they actually decide to take the legal you know sort of course what other options are there for them like do they have to sort of go and fight it in court can they do something else um so fighting in court especially in the high court is expensive um yeah. it's not something that every writer has either the ability to or the inclination to do frankly because it's not as if success is guaranteed so you don't want to um, you know spend a lot of money on something that's not a sure thing uh, yeah. which is why in a lot of those cases the writers will go to the dispute settlement committee of the screen writers association and you will um, they have a whole uh, system of submitting a complaint and the the body will analyze it and will present a report and so many times what happens is if the dispute settlement committee gives an gives a decision in your favor in the favor of the writer saying that yes your work has been copied then that writer can approach the high court and present this report to the high court and okay. say that the expert body uh, which is part of my trade and industry has evaluated both these scripts has evaluated my allegations and found in my favor so therefore that has to and that is something that carries a lot of weight in the court so yeah. um 
but then in that instance typically it is too late to try and fight for an injunction to stop the release of the movie so then that is something that becomes a suit for damages so whoever whichever writers do this uh my advice to them is that uh keep aside a set of money for those lawyers let that fight go on and move on with your life don't uh, don't make this litigation your life think of it as an investment and it will grow one day and maybe maybe give you a bonanza someday because i know so many people who after fighting for years then get a payout that also happens yeah but you shouldn't uh, sort of put your life on hold and say now nah, i'm not a writer now nah, i'm a lit- i'm a litigant and make that your life that is terrible yeah. yeah yeah no that's great advice you were also working with for a while with the screenwriters association on these kinds of disputes right yeah i was advising uh, yeah can you give me a couple of you know stories or anecdotes of what kind of disputes were coming to the association uh it would be disputes where a writer for example has been engaged by a producer to write a thing and then halfway through he gets fired and the question is what is his due in terms of credit what is his due in terms of money now that he's been fired halfway through so that's something that the dispute settlement committee would evaluate um sometimes it would be outright cases of infringement uh where or like the example that you gave where a writer feels that i gave an idea to a producer and uh, now he's making it without me and the third would be a category of cases that mostly in my view are without merit where a writer sees a movie that's been released or this ka trailer has come out and he'll say wait a minute this looks like exactly something i have in my drawer and then he'll open his drawer and he'll find something and say hey, you've copied this you've copied this yeah. those are typically uh, not they don't have much merit those cases in my experience yeah and you know it's very interesting because actually i don't think there is a body like that for books the way that this association works to sort of solve these disputes these right. kind of disputes you know there's i think no sort of industry association as a whole that brings everything together that can resolve these kind of disputes right. within the publishing world you know so it's i think what this conversation is also stressing is how important that kind of some sort of governance system is within that yeah. industry to look at you know to make also writers feel in a way like there will be a forum for them to be heard because again right like you said going you know actually filing a case in court is very expensive already compared to even screenwriters book writers don't really make that much money even if the book is out it sort of the royalties that they get the advances that they get are not that high so them trying to fight for that book yeah. or for for copyright infringement for something like that in court is just another right. thing altogether right. um have you ever come across a you know scenario whether with the screenwriters association or you know with the legal cases that you do where uh, say a book is out right like so a book is published and then the author of the book is seeing that in another format you know say on film uh, there seems to be very heavy uh, copyright infringement that But that in different happen. formats that i sure that that doesn't happen so much actually because what happens uh, once a work is published as a book no it's probably like the highest level of protection available to you which is why in the south a lot of screenwriters publish their works as books first oh. where so that nobody can dispute oh. whether i gave it to you whether i actually wrote it or not because here here is a book with my name on it so uh, anytime something like this happens also you have to understand once there's a book out 
there's somebody vastly more powerful than the writer who gets to sit at the table and that is the publisher yeah so if some if some producer tries to steal a publisher's book that publisher is not going to sit quiet yeah right he, he's he's going to want his uh, his uh, his piece of the pie so so now and so which is why that happens very rarely because producers might might willingly stomp over an unknown writer they're not going to stomp over penguin random house that is very true what if it's an indie publisher though that themselves don't have money and it's like a local publisher local book or for example say the book was published in you know the book was written in kannada right, right? and then the movie is in hindi in a way where there is a chance right. however small or big that they will not even see the movie or will not even realize that there are these similarities or there has been copyright I, I think this is the kind of thing that would that used to happen earlier, but now that information flows so quickly, uh, any producer would be would think ten times before copying even a regional language book, hmm. because proving the case against you is so easy. Once an earlier work has been published and it's in public domain, then defending those similarities is next to impossible. um assuming the assuming the similarities reach that that threshold it becomes very very difficult to to uh, sort of just talk it off and say no i came up with the same idea so i i have not seen that happen and also the other thing is that it's not that expensive for auction books so, that's yeah yeah um, so they can just do it the proper way and just auction just, just it just do the proper way be a few lakhs and the, the your budget of your film is over 10 15 crores even for a small film so you might as well just do yeah. it So, yeah so this is a very measly amount compared to the full film budget so they might as well option correct okay that makes a lot of sense and you know in terms of the law itself how creator friendly is the law as a whole you know is it sort of leaning towards creators because the fact that the threshold is so high is that something in your opinion is a good thing is a bad thing like how does it play out for you know creators who are very concerned and anxious about yeah. their work constantly being copied or So, so the the threshold being high is not something that's unique to India. Uh, copyright law is universal. Uh, it is there are there are international conventions that have been ratified by all countries. So copyright law kind of looks the same in all countries. So the threshold that we follow is the threshold that the whole world follows. So we are not overly friendly or unfriendly. Um, but what we have done is we have had some uh, recent amendments. Uh, that were championed by by people like uh, uh, mr javed akhtar and mr anjum rajbali uh, through parliament where they ensured a few things that till now uh, were not guaranteed number 1 like what royalty will always be given to the author of a work irrespective of a clause in the agreement that may say that there's no royalty payable so even if you have a clause okay. that says that whatever i paid the writers everything and he will get no royalties after this the courts will read it as if there is no such clause okay right so so that is that's statute. a very that's a very powerful very important yeah. or like sort of change i didn't even realize there were author contracts that uh, say that have a clause like that saying that there is no more royalties payable yeah. the advance is basically all that they get they'll do it because i mean it it all depends on on what kind of a contract you draft no so many times writers of original work will get the contract of 
the writer of an ad agency you know so yeah if i'm I, i'll give you an example if if i'm if if i have a, a contract that i sign with the writers who work in my ad agency obviously that contract will say that whatever creative output you give does not belong to you it belongs to the client right Correct. so if if i am on an assignment for pepsi and i write ye dil mange more i don't own that yeah, like the writer so doesn't own it right yeah. and and he and, and pepsi owns it from the get go in in this example so uh, we we see a lot of these exploitative contracts where this kind of a contract would be placed in front of a writer who's creating original work uh, and that anything and, you write anything you create is owned by the client or the company me. and you have no rights you have no rights ha huh. so uh, so the the amendments to the law now fix those kind of situations the the other thing that it fixes is with an assignment so if if i have created a work and i assign my assign the rights in it to you an assignment is basically a complete wholesale transfer in perpetuity of all my rights in it okay so if i write a screenplay i have to assign it to my producer and that's how that's what gives my producer the right to go and turn it into a movie okay section 194 which was introduced in the copyright act says that um unless otherwise specified the person to whom i am giving my assignment of my work has to utilize it within a period of 1 year or else it comes back to me okay so effectively so it's not come... that after you assign it to me i'll just shelve it and then i'll just never use it again and you don't own the rights either and i don't do anything with it either and it just never sees that's the exactly light right. of it that's exactly right, right. then but however however there's something you should know that that this uh, this uh, provision or this protection is something that you can contract out of so you can say that i know that this section protects me but between us i'm willing to give that up unlike royalty which can't be given up this thing can be given up but then what it does is it allows the writers to have some bargaining power and tell the producer ki theek hai sir ek saal may be too short but aap bolo kitna 3 saal 5 saal Okay, so you know, like you give the example of the royalties clause that some uh, sort of contracts have. Can you tell me any other things? You know, specific clauses or specific word wordings or verbiage in contracts that writers should kind of you know be aware of or look for as red flags. Okay, um, the the biggest red flag I would say is the words "work for hire." Hmm. If you are the author of a creative work. that is original to you and you're handing over a completed or semi mostly completed work to a publisher and if you see those words work for hire that means the producer is trying to con you he is he's trying to pull a fast one on you okay because what is what does work for hire mean what is work for hire the 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 copywriter i described who came up with uh, this ye dil mange mo is a work yeah. for hire okay hmm. so so he is somebody who is providing his creative services for a fee right almost like a salaried or a contracted like employee salary, right. sort of yeah, yeah. and and uh, the, the 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 term of art in 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 our profession is a contract of service versus a contract for services okay mm-hmm. a contract for services is what a writer in an ad agency does he has a contract under which he provides services okay a contract 
a contract of service is different a contract of service is when i own the work and i'm just giving it to you i i own a document a manuscript and i am giving it to you under an assignment so i never worked for you i was never your employee if you you can't fire me right hmm. uh it's like think of it as the same thing as buying a physical piece of property right like if i it's like walking into an apple store buying a phone walking out with it and then when apple asks you to pay them money you say money go to hell i'm you're fired i didn't like your service the way you did it they like but you yeah. have the phone you can't walk yeah. out with the phone and tell me i'm fired so 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 that so that's that's what a contract of assignment is uh, it's i used to have it now you have it therefore give me the money if you don't give me the money you don't have it you got to give it back as simple as that mm-hmm. but if you see work for hire it means so so those are contracts where and this we see uh, quite commonly less so now because there's a minimum basic contract that we have drafted with the help of the screenwriters association you can go to their website and download it and you can see the kind of the clauses that you should have in your contract um so it happens less now but earlier it was very common for a producer to meet a writer like a idea that the writer has given read the whole script like the whole script and then give a contract that says i as the producer had an idea that why not make a movie like this i came to know that you are a writer you told me that you would be very happy to write my idea therefore i am giving you a salary now go write my idea right now if this if this writer writes or uh, signs such an agreement despite knowing fully well that all the recitals are lies then this writer is his own worst enemy nobody can help him because he has he has he has put a signature to a document that is false and yeah. then no court can help him so the solution is don't don't sign something that's not true that's a good one anything else other like like work for hire any other words or red flags that writers should look for i i think the the work for hire is really the most important one because what that what that does is if you see that word it will mean that you will see 10 other clauses that follow logically from that and all those 10 are wrong for example if you see a work for hire you will see a termination clause that says you can be fired and the script will belong to the uh, to the uh, producer uh, right. you will see that you can be fired and then you the movie may be made and your name will never be put on it so all those mm-hmm. illogical exploitative clauses are downstream of work for hire whereas if you go into the other category of contract which is a contract of assignment then all those follow on clauses will generally be absent right it's it's a different category so um yeah. uh, i mean beyond that now these people should really consult a lawyer uh, to see what exactly is uh, is changed but this is the red flag the words yeah. work for hire no. the contract services the a termination yeah. where you can no longer be recognized as a writer you know mm. those are the red flags so those are very important sort of red flags to know i think you know that's why i was kind of asking you because for a lot of writers they kind of don't know where to even start getting advice from a lawyer what kind of even basic things to start looking for or what yeah. kind of red flags exist so this can be a starting point for them to yeah. think about even the fact that when they 
when someone sends them a contract, they need to look for red flags yep. or yep. they need to see and actually search. Is there, you know, is this contact fair to me? Correct. I think that question of fairness, right? Unless that comes to them from within saying, I need to think about, is this fair for me? Is this, you know, compensating me for actually the amount of work I'm doing? We will get a lot of writers, exactly like you mentioned, who will end up signing that exploitative contract. Yep. And then there is nothing that can be done if they realize later, right? Yeah. No, but but now now I I don't think any any person who's literate enough to be a writer, savvy enough to find producers, has really any excuse if he doesn't do his due diligence on the contract. The Screenwriters Association is a union which provides incredible services for writers, and they have an in-house lawyer who is there to vet contracts for you. They have a uh, they have a model contract on their website. They have the 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 thing I told you earlier about. Uh, what you should send on emails to to protect yourself yeah. that this is shared in confidence. Those words are there on the websites. So you can go there, literally copy paste it, and make it the footer of your every email. So right. if you don't do these steps, then that's on you. You know, at this point. <laughs> yeah, 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 no. But I also mean for you know book writers or other kinds of writers or creators who don't have that kind of support. You know, specifically yeah. that the Screenwriters Association uh, is giving. Sorry, I mean, I, I'm I'm sorry if if I come across as as uh, too harsh in this, but I, I'll, I'll tell you where it's coming from. Uh, after after now fourteen years of being a lawyer, I'm I'm frankly uh, and and knowing a lot of writers as close personal friends, I am a little bit now tired of these arguments. Ki bhai, I am to an artist. You're not. If you're an artist, you're <laughs> an artist. You be a businessman, right? You 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 have a valuable product. You, you please think of yourself as a businessman, and that's when somebody will deal with you that way. You think of yourself as this. Uh, artists then then you will be uh, treated that way you know yeah no i 100% agree you know there's this whole like uh, discourse about oh artists or writers you know it's like oh, they are lost in their own world and they're introverts yeah. and they can only do art and they can't think of anything else or they shouldn't it's you know even like from i don't know centuries ago artists have always other than cave paintings artists have always created art for money right like whether it's even these big yeah. painters whatever they had patrons right they were they had people who were paying them and they were clearly providing services for yeah, that was a feudal times those were feudal yeah. times now we are living in a modern uh, in, in a modern democracy with rule of law you don't need to be like this have, have you heard of script notes the podcast of craig mason no I, I would highly recommend everybody. I mean, for, firstly, they 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 talk a lot about writing, which is great. Craig Mason is the guy who created Last of Us, which is on HBO right now. He created yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's basically a phenomenal writer. And he is a champion of workers' rights. And on their podcast, they keep talking about that. He's the one who leads them on strikes. He's the one who negotiates with uh, with the producers. So So don't tell me you can't be an artist and a businessman and a champion. You can be that. And and in the West, if you're trying to be the best, there are examples of people who are like that. Yeah, definitely. That marks the end of another episode of The Book People. Tune in every Thursday for some breakdowns, some truth bombs, and some insightful and real conversations with industry experts about all things books. This podcast is created by Bound. We work with writers and brands to create content across formats, whether it's books, podcasts, newsletters, or screenplays. So get in touch to see how we can help you grow through stories. And follow us at Bound India on all social media platforms. I'm your host, Aishwarya Zawargekar. 
You can follow me on LinkedIn where I share many many more insights about books and content. Or you can get in touch with me at ashwarya at boundindia.com if you have any suggestions on topics I should cover or if you want to book any of my services or consultation calls. Until then, keep writing.